This episode is brought to you by Catalyst. Catalyst combines beautiful design with modern technology to provide the most powerful customer success platform, helping companies reduce churn and improve customer experience at scale. They also create and post relevant and hilarious startup memes every day. So check them out on LinkedIn or at catalyst.io. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Unapologetic, a podcast dedicated to giving people of color a voice and an opportunity to share their journey with the world. My name is Kalina Bryant. I'm the founder of Unapologetic, and I'll be your host for today. I am so excited to introduce our next guest speaker, Heather House, 50 over 50 Forbes lister, entrepreneur, investor, and more. A little bit about Heather. She is the manager partner of Black Ops Ventures. She has served as a founding CEO and president of Cal Bright College, California's first public online only community college from 2019 to 2020. Heather is currently a board member at Udemy, an online education company that serves 45 million students around the globe. She is also a board member of Black Girls Code and Luminary Media and much more. Heather is also an EdTech veteran, the founding, um, the founder of the learning platform Pathbright in 2012, which was sold to an investor in 2015. Earlier in her career, Heather also served as the deputy director at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where they focused on higher education. There is so many things to this bio that is just incredible to me. But what I get out of this is Heather is definitely a trailblazer, and I am delighted to have you. Welcome. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, let's get into it. I mean, the moment I met you in Abu Dhabi in March at our Forbes uh, Summit, where we brought together Forbes 30 under 30, Forbes 50 over 50, who would have known we would get here? I learned a lot about you around perseverance, resiliency, and just listening to your journey changed my perspective in the world and who I wanted to be. So I want to dive in and just kick things off on, first off, your story behind leaving San Francisco to get funding, and just talk to me a little bit about that journey. Um, so... I've worked, I had worked with a number of different investors um, in the San Francisco area, a number of venture capitalists and a number of technologists uh, through different businesses. Uh, I was running a consulting, I was running a consulting business in philanthropy where I was helping individual um, former, you know, CEOs and founders of companies and as well as large entities figure out how to have strategic, uh, the most strategic impact possible with their philanthropic dollars. And so I had a, a good, robust amount of relationships in the Bay Area where, um, where you know, I'd gone to school at UC Berkeley, et cetera. Uh, but when it came time for me to raise venture capital for my startup, Pathbright, it was a different, it was a different situation. Uh, what I found very quickly is that while people were comfortable with me setting up their philanthropic work, they didn't have the same kind of confidence and, um, and uh, inclination to invest in my startup in the way that I saw them investing in their friends that they had gone to school with, lived next door to, that sort of thing. So what it felt like for me is, so, you know, when I built Pathbright, my first customer was Stanford University. Um, they asked me to build out enterprise software. That's why I needed to raise venture capital. So I rode up to Sand Hill Road to all the usual suspects. And the, the minute I'd walk in the door of the um, reception area, I, was, I felt like I was being treated like, um, like, are you in the wrong place? Can I help you? Um, do you have a package for us kind of thing? <laughs> you know, I wasn't dressed for delivering a package. So it was, um, it was a rude awakening for me, really. And it became very crystal clear to me that there was a set, second separate set of standards and expectations for people who are going to be founders of tech companies that could become potentially billion dollar entities that, um, that there is, when you're investing there's a level of comfort and confidence you have to have in people that they share your similar priorities, um, that they use the same kinds of sort of rationale and 
and um, common sense that you would use in managing a company. And I think the just the lack of familiarity with me in so many different ways in my package made it hard for them to get to that point where they were ready to invest in people because I saw them writing checks for people who had far less, didn't have the same traction I had, didn't have customers, you know, had an idea on a PowerPoint, um, um, maybe weren't nearly as buttoned down, but like I said, their kids went to the same nursery school or they were in the same cycle group. And here I was from LA, from Crenshaw, raised by a single mom. You know, I'm non-binary, I'm, um, I'm black and uh, I don't live next door to them and I live in Oakland. And there were just a lot of differences. And I felt like at the end of the day, they'd say, you have a great business model. I see the traction, but uh, writing that that lead check, they weren't ready to do that. And I know um, back in 2011, 2012, when I was raising money, very few women were being invested in and almost no black or brown people were there. Um, I'll say one other thing about that. You know, when I launched my company at Tech uh, TechCrunch Disrupt, when I was on the floor and there were maybe 1,000, 1,500 people in the same big building, I was searching for black faces and I really didn't see any. Um, so what I had to do was reorient myself. Here I was build, bringing in education technology to market, these digital portfolios. What I realized I needed to go to people who would give me domain credit, for, uh, knowledge for having domain expertise. At that time, I was 15, maybe close to 20 years um, in having been in the learning, education, and workforce development or training areas. So I had a lot of expertise and I needed people, investors who would say, yeah, we know you're going to know how to go to market. We know you know what you're building. And that kind of confidence came from more traditional um, education investors who were on, in New York and on the East Coast. And then one of my investors was also ACT, the testing company. So um, the lesson that I learned from that is, uh, you know, as we've always done in every part of our lives being black Americans, we're kind of like the rivers. And when there's a rock that shows up, you just got to go one side of the over or over it or to the other side. And you got to just keep finding um, your people, people who can have the confidence, can evaluate you and, and back you. Well said. And if I'm not mistaken, even with mm -hmm. all those trials and tribulations, I know you said it better than I, I'm gonna tr I'm gonna attempt. But you said that you had one of the highest um, exits ever, right? Um, and also, did you raise some of the highest capital as you know a? Yeah. So unfortunately, and it, I can't even talk about it then because it was so painful to me because so few black women were funded back then. But from 2012. Through 2018, I was the black woman who had raised the most venture capital and then had the largest exit. And uh, just to level set things, I raised $12 million, which, you know, is um, that was my seed round and my series A, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, $100 million. And um, and I knew my white counter, white male counterparts were were um, getting capitalized at, at far faster, better rates than than I was. Um, and and even today, and I, we may want to talk more about it later. But um, today, there have only been four hundred. There are fewer than four hundred and thirty Black Americans who have been been venture backed. Only one percent of venture backed founders are Black. And then only 0.003% of venture-backed founders are Black women. So that gives you some perspective about the inefficiency of capital going to Black Americans, particularly Black women. Wow. Just those stats alone. Yeah. So my what I get out of this is this just the amount of resiliency that you've had. I'm assuming even with those incredible numbers, even with the 12 million, the amount of no's that you must have had to endure. So for our audience, we're all going through different obstacles. And I love the way you put it, we're like a river. So all those different bumps. My question for you is, if you're going to be in this game, if you're going to believe in your idea, 
if you are going to succeed, regardless of what someone says or how many no's you receive, what's your advice to these individuals? My, 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 my big kind of Uber advice is you've got to be true to yourself. You've got to know what it is that you want out of life that you need to have happen. And you need to take every experience and every challenge and put it into context. Um, Sometimes, you know, when things have shut down for me and I realized I can't continue or grow them anymore, it's because um, that's where, not really where I'm meant to to be at my, I'm not um, serving my highest calling. I'm not doing what makes me happiest or where I'm having the most impact. Um, and it means that, that that tributary needs to be cut off because another one needs to happen. And so um, I take, you know, life is just about learning and iterating and hopefully getting closer and closer to the things that make you feel self-actualized and, um, and happy and content in your life. And I genuinely, you know, I pray for that. I meditate for that for, for not just myself, but for all of humanity. Um, and so you've got to put things in the context that if you're doing your very best work and you're growing and you're iterating, um, you should be iterating towards not only where you have, you know, your biggest achievement or whatever it is that you have on kind of your professional goals or whatever, but that you're getting closer to what you, where you want to be in life and what you want to be doing. My wife said to me the other day that every day is like Russian roulette and, and she's not wrong. I mean, it's kind of scary sounding, but tomorrow isn't promised. And so like, you know, um, you know, every time you're pulling that trigger, like, you know, for what? Is it, is, it, is it enhancing, you know, your sense of purpose and impact or uh, satisfaction and meaning in your life or happiness, joy? Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, just keep it in context. And I would say for everything, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm used to um, just kind of, you know, picking myself back up and working at something every day. And that's the only way I know how to get things done. And I'm a builder. And so, um, but, but I try, and I've really worked at it for the past 20 years, for sure, um, at, at finding space and time to, um, to contemplate, to relax, to have fun, to have perspective, and I just got to say, that's so important. And I think a lot of us have figured that out, especially during COVID, when a lot of pri our priorities and our activities were really kind of flipped on, their, on, their, on the other end. Mm -hmm. I like that. I'm still uh, giggling in my head because I can imagine Debbie looking at you. So. <laughs> I got a million Debbieisms because they just come out. My wife is prolific and very articulate, and uh, she she says a lot of stuff. I'm like, that's that's a good one. I gotta, and it just sticks with me. <laughs> yeah, that actually makes me think about um, you know as as you are always persevering and going through these different stages. What I hear is you have a certain amount of armor around you. And what I mean by armor is um, a diversified portfolio of individuals who look out for you that that's going to give you the best advice. It's going to support you regardless of if you're at the highest of your peak or at the very lowest. Um, and then secondly, you had mentioned showing up to these firms and they thought you were the help. And, you know, it's interesting because I've seen some of the shoes that you wear and they are very, very nice. So I would never assume that you were delivering a package. But where I'm getting at with this is, number one, having individuals around you that that push you, that give you um, the, the opportunities and give you the motivation that you need is important. And then second, your armor of when you feel good, when you know you look good, you can present yourself regardless of what people say. Um, and I think as an entrepreneur, you need that because if you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to believe in you? Um, so if we're thinking about the armor, what, what's the advice to give to these individuals that are just starting out, right? That Blacks, we don't like to ask for money, you know, asking for millions of dollars, even though we believe in our idea somehow sounds so foreign to us. Um, yeah. how, how, how do we go about changing that mindset? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that is true. I know that um, in certain instances, if I'm on a sales call, I'm pitching for money or whatever, I am definitely um, 
I have to, I have to have my gear. So I got to get my, my clothes have to be a certain way. Um, I just have to have all the pieces together. My presentation's got to be tight. I've got to be ready. And what I will say to all people and especially to um, you know, young people, I, I've got kids 26 to 30 and I say to them, you know, there are no shortcuts. You've got to, First of all, you've got to be a generalist and that you got to learn to be a good communicator. You need to master a certain level of uh, numeracy and finance and, and, and basic life skills. But then you need to become expert in your area of, of uh, what you're doing. So, you know, if, um, if I'm bringing to market a, a certain technology, I've got to be an expert in that offering, in that technology, top to bottom, nose to tail, however you want to say it. And, um, and there are no shortcuts for that. So the preparation and, um, and the clarity, and, um, and, and I gotta say in this world today, quieting your space so that you can not only be expert in all the details, um, but not get caught up in the noise of what's happening all around you. Because sometimes I see people are spreading themselves so thin that they don't go very deep on anything. And so once somebody needs to engage to the level where they want to invest in you, or they're considering, you know, investing, um, buying your services. And it's a, it's a, you know, you're asking people to, to, um, to make trade-offs and to choose your thing over something else. You've got to have a comprehensive, deep knowledge of what you're offering. And, um, and so that takes a certain amount of patience. It takes some attention span. It takes um, preparation and it takes sitting with stuff sometimes to just be grounded in it. Um, and so I think that there's a, there, there's kind of a dual thing where it's, you gotta be knowledgeable at a level, uh, kind of a high level about current affairs and a lot of things going on and how they can affect your world. But there's nothing like, taking the time and, um, and being patient and, and, and knowing that you're comfortable with your material and you're comfortable with yourself. Uh, the other thing that I, I especially want to encourage um, Black folks about, but, but all people, is, is um, don't worry about what everybody else is doing because most people are just trying to emulate other people. And if you spend all that energy just being your best you, that's really, that's really all. And then the good news about that is there's no competition. Literally, you're the only one. And so if I'm busy trying to be Kalina, like I'm not going to get it right. But if I could just try to be my best self, um, look, there's no one else. I know that there's no one else like me out there. <laughs> so let me just do that. And I try to just do that a little bit better every day. And I feel like um, the people in my life who know me and love me, whether they have all the wisdom, not every, no, no one person has all the perfect wisdom for me, but if, um, if they can sometimes, especially at my lowest point, help reflect and remind me about me, I, I don't need them to tell me how to be them or, you know, or um, somebody else, but if they can just remind me of like, what I, what I have that's an asset that, that, that's valuable that I have to offer people in relationships and in business and in, um, in, in society, then, then that's what I find comfort in. Somebody who just knows me and can tell me and at my darkest days reflect back to me why they love me, you know, what I have to offer, that, that I'm enough. That's really been something, especially in my 40s and 50s, just feeling like I'm enough as is, that I don't have anything in particular I have to prove. I remember my 40s literally waking up in the middle of the night thinking, have I done what I'm supposed to do on this planet? Is it enough? And, and, um, and, and while that can be good to drive you, and that's, I think, sometimes an important question to ask, and I'm not saying I, I've arrived completely, but... Um, a little less anxiety about that. I have less anxiety about that now and a little bit more comfort with what I'm doing right now is good enough and it's plenty. And next day, whatever I choose to do will be great too. And, and, and like no judgment about it. So um, I think we need to be really loving and clear and, and try to really care for ourselves 
Um, I remember going to a memorial service for a man I had worked with um, through college. His name was Ronnie Stevenson, and he was a former Black Panther. And he built this tutorial program that I helped him run uh, called Break the Cycle. And um, at his memorial service, you know, Angela Davis was there and these great professors, Charles Henry and others. And they were, and Charles Henry, um, who taught this class about black history and civil rights and everything, he was saying, you know, the number one thing a revolutionary can do is, um, is feed and be, feed yourself well and be healthy, you know, exercise, relax, um, eat well, because you're not any good for anybody else if you're not your if you're not healthy and you're not good for yourself, and um, and so the self care um, includes having people, um, you know, my friends and family, um, and and my business colleagues and definitely my teammates that I've done stuff with, um, you know, in, in companies and and on the basketball court. These are all people who mean so much to me, and they give so much to me that help me be grounded and and be happy in this world. And we all need that. We all we all definitely need that and deserve that kind of support. Mm-hmm. I agree, one hundred percent. Um, this actually gives me to a, a question for you around trust. So, mm. you know, the higher you go, I understand that you have your trusted individuals that you're close with, family and friends. However, when you're in those rooms and you're the only individual, um, I got out of this of, you know, making sure that you're, you're the expert in your environment. But however, talk to me about how do you manage the lonely loneliness of climbing the ladder, whether that's the corporate ladder or the entrepreneur ladder. It may be nice to have the, the private advisory board that you have with the friends and the family, but what do you do when you're still in that day role? How do you trust in, or how do you pick who to trust is Mm -hmm. probably the first question. I don't know that I have perfected my picker and there are times when but I have on my relationship side and, and that was a whole journey. So I, I feel great about that. And that's probably the most, most important. But um, but I'm somebody like this. I try to work with and collaborate with a lot of people. And, um, and I'm quick to do it because I get ex- excited. I see the potential and I want to try it. And I'm a an experiential learner. So I got to do, if I really want to learn or master anything, it it comes from the doing for me. And so um, I have tried a lot of collaborations that didn't pan out. And even those that in the long run have settled into their proper place, I've had a lot of hard times, oftentimes getting to that point of trust because the problem is you know, you set off on a new venture with somebody that you don't know very well, and you don't have a history. You don't go, oh yeah, you've been saying that same old thing for five years, and I know what you mean by that, and I know what it takes to get us beyond it. Or if you say, no, I know you mean maybe, and or whatever the things are. But when you don't have that shorthand and you don't have that experience, it's really hard. And what I try to do is over-index in the areas of communicating my expectations, my interpretations, my feelings, um, my experiences, because they don't know me and they can't read me. Um, And when I'm not feeling heard, respected, um, heeded, or whatever, I say that, and I'm very direct. So... um, I remember one time that my daughter Maya and I had this very interesting conversation where I said, you know, I thought she wasn't being, um, I thought she was being a little bit rude. And she said, well, you're very direct and I can be direct too. And I said, there's a total difference between direct and rude. And what you've got to do, I'm being direct with you right now, but I'm not being rude. I'm not calling you out your name. I'm not being short with you. I'm not being, I don't have a tone. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything like that, but I am being very direct. And so what I've found is the more direct and honest you can be about your experiences, your needs, your feelings, the better. And the less you can leave leave things to, um, 
to for interpretation or for, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you exactly how I feel, but I'm going to let you try and worry and wonder and try and figure it out. Like that stuff is not helpful to um, building deep relationships. And what I've learned is people can say a lot of things, but actions speak volumes to me. So if I give you notice that this is what I need, and so your actions time and time again can't be respectful of what I'm asking for, then you're telling me either you, you really don't understand, or you haven't bothered to listen to me and hear me, or you don't care, and you're intentionally doing something different. Um, whatever the case, then I need to act accordingly. And so I'm the type of person, I have a really, really long fuse, and I'm going to really try to make it work. But once you, if you have time and time again, your actions, regardless of what your words are saying, if your actions can't follow through, then I'm going to quit you. And it's just that simple. And you've got to quit people. So if you have to work with them in a big organization, maybe you don't have that choice. But then what I would do is sort of protect myself. Um, And I've left organizations where uh, people weren't, weren't honest, um, didn't treat me right, didn't treat somebody on my team right. And I just said, look, I gave you all these warnings. I tried to make this work. You can't seem to respect that. I'm out. I don't. I told you I wasn't going to do this with you, and I'm not. And um, and so that's that's um, again another thing you can you can check with my verify with my wife. She's like, oh, you're going to quit them, aren't you? I have to. I'm, I'm trying not to. You see me trying, and I swear. To heaven, I give everybody the benefit of the doubt multiple, multiple times, and I want it to be the best case scenario, but I also have a certain set of standards for myself and respect for myself and love for myself, and I won't do it indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Oof, preach. I, <laughs> when is your book? When is your book coming out, Heather? <laughs> I think that should be in the front of the self-help section. I mean, I think (laughs) Heather's 10 principles, read it. Yeah, that's definitely one. I will quit you, but I give you a lot of room and I'm super direct about it. And so it's never, ever, ever a surprise. Um, Yeah, it's never a surprise. Okay. I like that. And I think that what I get out of all of this, I heard you say it's important to be grounded And it's important to, of course, like watch people's motives and actions. You know, we all know that actions speak louder than words scenario. Um, But what it sounds like, even if we put this into a business perspective, if you're going to have partnerships with someone, you have to trust them. But how do you get to that point? You have to over communicate is what I hear. But also you have to sit back and watch did you say something and it's still not being, you know, given to you? Um, are the actions being met? And that goes for any stage of your career, whether that's you working in a day job, whether that's being an entrepreneur, even if someone's willing to write you a, a million dollar check, if if you can't trust them, is that good money? Um, okay, so that's a very cool. important. That's a very I important. Actually, <laughs> yeah. All money is not good money. And I have um, a ton of stories personally, but, but um, you know, oodles, I mean, tens, if not hundreds of stories from other people who, um, other founders who have been mistreated and uh, taken advantage of by working with the wrong investors. So um, uh, one, you know, top 10 on my list is my lead investor, VC, um, at some point decided all of our great technology would be so well used um, in another of his portfolio companies that he, unbeknownst to me, had a partner fly to um, ACT, our our investor in um, Iowa, and say, hey, I've got a great idea. We want to sell Pathbright to this other company in our portfolio. You know, we'd have Heather maybe go to the board. We'd have her independent board member, you know, probably get out, you know, um, get rolled off and um, and such and such and so and so. And my um, board member and investor from ACT, he picked up the phone and he called me and he, did you know that this was happening? I had no idea. Now that's not a proper partner. And I swear to you that every everything that this investor said was right. Um, and you know, all the, 
um, all the things that they had done were were right, um, but they were taking advantage of um, things I wasn't looking out for and things that I, I had no expect, expectation of happening. I've had I've seen over twenty CEOs uh, kicked out of their companies by VCs who oftentimes run the companies into the ground once they've uh, gotten rid of the founder CEO. But um, but we're not in the spirit of trying to collaborate and mutually deciding or coming to an, a realization that, that, that maybe the company's outgrown the CEO or something of that nature, but just um, a sense of hubris and thinking that they're playing Monopoly here and um, sh should do better. And so it is... Um, it is, it's important to acknowledge that um, there are different circumstances and, um, you know, I'm writing a lot about right now uh, what the roles and responsibilities are of board members. And it's those, especially those um, board members who are investors, but board members in general, who are responsible for the governing and the hiring and the firing and the management of the CEOs. And that is a lot of responsibility. So what you want is people who are responsible, who have fiduciary responsibility, who can think about the best interests of the organization and not just their own self-interest or their portfolio's returns or um, bit, you know, doing someone else's bidding. What you want are people who really, really have good judgment and they really first and foremost as a director are thinking about what's best for the company or the organization. And I, I will tell you being on both sides of the table, having been on both sides of the table and um, going through a really hard uh, reorg right now, it is so much work when you are on a board where you have to make changes. And um, I promise you up and down for years and years with, with the board work that I'm doing right now, we have given so many kinds of input and tried to bring along um, a leader who is, um, um, who is, who is, uh, who will reject input and feedback. And so there are instances where you have to make changes. Um, but, um, but it is important to know that you work with people who are honest, who have integrity, who are, um, who are not trying to withhold or prevent you from knowing, seeing the full picture and knowing what's going on. And that's the best you can ask for because, you know, if you're a founder of a company, um, like when I founded Pathbright, I genuinely wanted what was the very best for the company and the employees every single day and all of our customers. I wanted what was best for the company. And, um, and so if there had ever been a time, I would, I promised myself when we ended up selling because it was the best offer on the table when I wanted to continue taking the company forward, um, that uh, I promised myself and my employees that I would do what was in their best interest and not be self-serving for, for what we would do. And that led us to selling the company and, in, and getting a good return for our investors and for our, our employees. But um, it can be really hard and it takes a lot of work for people to be able to separate their ego and their personalities especially when you're a founder from the best interest of, you know, when you're responsible for a community of people, your employees that you um, have, you know, sold into this because of stock or because they they believe in the mission. And so you have a whole set of constituencies that you have to think about instead of just yourself. And it's in those times when decisions are hard um, that, that um, having people you trust um, that you are interdependent upon, um, interdependent with, that really will uh, work with you. And it's like, we don't know all the answers today, but if we all work together, we can figure out what's best and right for this, this, this challenge. And that comes with um, working with people, but also choosing and observing people and being clear about, are they really intellectually honest? Are they honest to people in general? Um, I've been amazed in society how many people have um, sort of glamorized 
um, being charlatans and being con people and being just liars. And, um, you know, from the presidency to, um, you know, people who've raised um, hundreds of millions of dollars um, on lies. And I'm like, wow, um, I really, I truly hope and pray that our kids aren't aspiring to become these people uh, because it's so empty. It doesn't usually work out very well. Um, but I, I would just never want to lay my head down at night and feel like I was that person, look in the mirror, um, have to look in the eyes of people that I care about and I want them to care about me. So, um, you know, but watching people's behaviors and also if you're, if you're doing something like raising money, um, take the time. It's so, it's so, um, alluring when you've got people who are saying really nice things to you and they're like, Hey, we'll invest, you know, 10 million in your company. You're like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. It's so easy to think how hard it is if you don't get that money. But I promise you, um, you are literally dependent and interdependent with these people. And, um, and if you get in, in, into business with the wrong people, you will regret it. And there's just, there's no, there's no alternative. It will never uh, work out the way you want. Wow. I mean, all of that by itself is just, you know, to get to that, the point of where you are right now, Heather, you know, you have a, a load of wisdom, I would say, and also you are very comfortable in who you are. And I think that, um, what I have learned from you and what I see in you is you can provide, you can be your best self and give the, and good advice because you're not trying to be anyone else. And you're very comfortable of, you know, I like what you said about the ego. Um, that is so hard, by the way, I would say in any stage, <laughs> any stage of your life, right? You're sometimes, you know, when you're making choices, even me personally, myself, I've had to take my ego out of certain situations in order to make wise decisions. Um, mm -hmm. And as a human being, that that is extremely hard, we, you know, especially just in America alone, uh, ego comes first, unfortunately. Um, wow. But but what I'm getting at on this, this particular question that's coming up is, when did you get to a point of, you know, understanding who you are and, and being comfortable, you know, um, we, we had talked about this previously, um, you identify as non-binary and, and you had mentioned, you were like, I was doing, I was identifying as non-binary before it was a thing, you know, and now it, it's, we're in a buzz world, right? Yeah. So all, all that you are and just being okay with showing up into these rooms, you know, like I, I, I'm trying to articulate, you know, sometimes being black and on your resume, your name, people are changing their names now so they can be presented in the best way to get the job. People are changing like their background and not being honest as to where they are from because they think that it will hurt them. Um, mm -hmm. But we all know that you have to be honest with who you are in order to make a true impact or at least a long lasting impact. But what are the steps to get there? Yeah. I mean, and, uh, it's not always the easy way. I want to acknowledge that. Um, and even at my you know, stage in life, this is a painful example, but I'm going to give it to you. Um, um, I remember when I was the CEO at Calbright College and I had, I had an evaluation by 17 trustees who were my board. And, um, and the chair of the board, he starts by saying, you know, um, he says, you know, you've exceeded every single uh, milestone that we set up at the first board meeting and that you that you you know presented to us. And so a thousand people, you know, online training and they're already getting, you know, about to get hired. And you've just done so much more than we thought or asked you to do so far. But, you know, we don't all, we don't all like interacting with you. You're a real you know, you're like an entrepreneur and you're real kind of sharp about stuff. And he went on and on and on. And, um, and another trustee piped in, not in the actual evaluation, but offline, she said to me, you know, she was going on that list. She's like, you know, we're used to people who work with politicians. You spend a lot of schmooze time and you have like this agenda and you're going to go through all this stuff. And we don't really care for that. And then she said, um, and you know, we don't like dealing with some woman dressed in man's clothing. And I was like, okay, and this is a black woman who said this to me. And I was like, okay, I was like, you know, well, that's, um, 
you know, I, I guess I appreciate the honesty, but, um, you know, I'm not changing. I've, I've been dressed in men's clothing, clothing for a couple of decades now. I have a haberdashery I enjoy very much, and that's just who I am. And so if you have problems with my uh, exterior and that prevents you from being able to work for me, I mean, that's something to think about for everybody, I think. Um, um, just aside from the discrimination in that, but just um, just like people can be so superficial, and um, and I think it's a bless. I've had a couple of blessings that have made me um, given me the space to be exactly who I want to be and exactly who I am. First, I was raised by a single mom who loved me to death, but wasn't necessarily into being parenting, into parenting. So I really have raised myself in a lot of ways. And the good news about that is I, she gave me the freedom to do anything and everything I wanted to do. So I'll joke a lot of times and say, I'm one of the few free Negroes that I know in this country, because I literally, (laughs) I don't have certain parameters or limitations um, that have anything to do with race, culture, ethnicity, gender, or anything else. It's kind of like, I have rules of conduct and values, absolutely. But I've crafted them and I abide by them and I'm accountable to them. And um, I don't need anybody else to dictate those to me. And so I got to experiment um, being the little entrepreneur and tinkerer I've always been. I've always had the, the privilege of doing that. And so you know, in high school, I was reading Nietzsche and all the top philosophers. And I, you know, I was tinkering with whatever I wanted to get into. And that made, you know, then in college. So in high school, one of the things is that not because my mother, my mother always taught me that, you know, LGBT people were as cool, if not cooler than everybody else, even though she was heterosexual. Um, but but um, in college, I was closeted and I you know, had a girlfriend and maintained a girlfriend and a boyfriend at all times. And my boyfriend was started the football team and the basketball team. And, you know, there was the external thing. And my life was very fragmented. I was the only black person in the AP courses at Santa Barbara High School, which my mother made me go to. Um, we moved up from L.A. And my life was 100 different fragments. And. Uh, I could maintain and juggle all of it. When I went to UC Berkeley, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop being gay because it's exhausting. And that worked until I fell in love with somebody. And, um, and so I quit my boyfriend who was then on the football team and, um, and had my girlfriend. And, um, and, and so I, um, So I realized at UC Berkeley that what I wanted to do more than anything was integrate all the aspects of my life and be just one person who didn't have to show one side one way and one side the other way. Now, I'm not saying that me partying is the same person that that I show up to at the boardroom, no. But um, so code switching has to happen, things like that have to happen, but um, they just get the professional side, or if I'm focused on a business issue, then that's different than if I'm a you know partying issue. Um, but otherwise, you know, 98% of who I am is all integrated, um, and they're just different, you know, kind of switches I'm turning for different purposes. Um, but what I realized, you know, at, by 18 was that I needed to be able to be my whole self everywhere I show up. And I've been blessed to have sort of maybe an expedient kind of route to getting there, but it's never too late. And, um, and uh, like my wife, who's reading a, writing a book about, you know, our relationship and our coming together um, has really shown me that even in the 40s and 50s, some of us are really just still learning who we are. My grandmother, when after my grandpa died, um, she was like 80 and she had a whole other chapter until 93 when she passed away. So we all find and grow and, and being able to be fully expressed, fully real about who we are at this time and how we are growing. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be just one static person all the time, but it sure is great to be able to just be um, 
as clear and open as you can about where you are and who you are, it's exhausting when you're having to play a role. And I think it um, is really hard in this society. I think it's really, um, uh, you know, I've seen, you know, we've all seen people who've taken their lives or just been miserable because they can't be their full selves for whatever reason. And, um, and we're blessed because, you know, I got Dorothy Dandridge on, on the wall over there. And there are a lot of people who had to either pass or um, be so ridiculed all the time for who they were, for just being black or just being um, a black, well-read and writing person or whatever. Um, and we don't we don't have any of those restrictions per se. But um, I, I think it is um, it is. Uh, it is our it is our calling to be our true selves. I really do. I know that maybe sounds corny, but um, and, and I just I think it's 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 also a good. It, it makes me happy to be this way. I would recommend it to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what's your health check? <laughs> if people can't if people can't handle it, then you're. I would recommend just removing yourself from those work situations or those personal situations if people can't, <laughs> or can't take it. Yeah. What came to mind to me was, you know, when people are saying, what's the vitamins that you take today? It seems like your vitamin is just showing up on who you are every day and being okay yeah, with yeah. it. Yeah. And my my favorite source of vitamin D is the sun. I like to just be out in the open with the full sun. And yes, uh -huh. my okay. favorite vitamin well, <laughs> Nothing's wrong with that. Hey, Miami gives you that every day. Um, yeah, so kudos. <laughs> well, I mean, I thank you for the honesty, Heather, and just being so raw. That's the that's the purpose of the podcast because we are in a world, especially when you're in a wearing a business hat. I like what you said about you can be your whole self, and yes, sometimes you have to code switch, but that's not changing who you are. That's just making sure that the expertise. If you're an expert right now as a board member on Tuesday morning at eight a.m., you're going to put that hat on. But if you are going to be an expert at fundraising at five p.m. for you know a politician, you are going to be an expert for fundraising an event at five. Um, and it's exactly nothing right. wrong with that, you no. know. And it doesn't change. You're still Heather that whole day. Exactly. Um, and I think that yeah. we need to be honest. That's right. So, right. If I'm talking finance or I'm talking communications or I'm talking poker or whatever, it's all me. And I'm trying to bring my best to whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. and, and my best includes me being my full self, you know? Mm -hmm. I like yeah. that. And I mean, that's my definition right now of, of empowerment, right? You know, sometimes we're always, we have these buzzwords now, uh, especially it seems like the last two years, it's been authenticity. Uh, it's been empowerment, you know, um, all, 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 they sound very, they're very nice words, but if there's mm -hmm. no true meaning behind them, they are just words. Um, yeah. So I love it that you've put some, some meaning behind your version of empowerment um, in all shades of who you are. And I think that being you is going to allow for other individuals to dare to be different or dare, dare to be who they want to be and still find success. Um, so I commend you on who you decided to be without apologizing. You are unapologetic about everything. And I, I think that that is, you know, we need that. So before we close out, I would like to open it up to ask you what other advice would you like to give to this audience, regardless if it's uh, coming out as whoever you want to be your true self, whether it's uh, getting your first round of funding or whether it's, you know, going after your first board opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. What advice would you like to leave the mic today? Mm -hmm. um, I would say um, a couple things. One is I've always found that if I have a vision and I have a dream and I can flesh that out. That's a destination. Once I have the clarity on the destination, then I can reverse engineer how to get there. And it doesn't always happen. Like I can tell you, and I've said this many times with my wife, and now she's like, I see exactly how this works. I'd say, you know, we can get from A to B. And I can tell you that we'll be at point B by such and such a, uh, a time. But I can't tell you exactly the path we'll take to get there. 
I can't tell you all the steps right now, but I can tell you that if, if we want to be at destination B, we can get there. And um, so what what works for me is having that white canvas, that, that clean canvas, that white sheet of paper, and putting on exactly what the destination is um, in my per- for my personal goals, health goals, professional, whatever. Um, and, and, and then doing the work to let, you know, doing the research to figure out what are the steps, then letting the things unfold and show up that need to show up when they do, um, for you to take those right steps and, um, trial and error, trying to take some steps that are going the wrong direction, realizing, and then correcting your path. These are all things that are part of the journey of getting there. Um, but there's, there's, there's no dream that I think is, is too big or too silly or too ridiculous. And by the way, the only person you need to really satisfy with your dreams and your goals is yourself. And I think that that's probably the most important lesson that I um, try to, to remind myself. Um, I'm, I, I'm consistently and persistently concerned with, um, am I taking care of others in the right way? And again, I think you are taking care of others if you're taking care of yourself well. And, um, and I think the other part of the advice that goes hand in hand with that is it does take um, your, your good work. Um, I know a lot of times people will say, you know, prayer is, is great, but prayer without work is empty. You've got to do both. You've got to have the vision and the inspiration, and you've got to follow that up with all the right work. And um, there are no shortcuts to the work. The good news is that unlike when I was um, younger, um, there is no shortage of information and and affordable, if not free information available to you um, all over the place. So there's no shortage about people who've done what you're trying to do, people who've thought what you've thought about, people who, um, who are happy to teach you how to do things. Um, you can learn absolutely everything you want to learn. So I guess in, in, in summation, I would say, please be a lifelong learner and, um, and, and, um, and have confidence in your own growth. Well said, well said. Well, Heather, thank you so much for making the time. And for our listeners, listeners out there, Heather, how do they find you? Um, do you have a website? Do you have an email? How, how would you like people to stay connected with you? Yeah, the, the, probably the best way to stay connected is through my LinkedIn account. I do post articles from time to time, um, and, um, and I do um, try to stay up with all of the messages that come in. So that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. You will find me on the Black Ops Ventures website. You will find me on the uh, Udemy website. And um, um, But if you reach out to me and we have other ways um, that we, other business we have to do, I'll stay in touch. So that's probably the best way. Thank you. And I I looked at your LinkedIn, you have 121,000 followers. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice, very nice. Well, with that, to all of our listeners, we provide a space for individuals to be unapologetic about themselves, to share their journey, and hopes that you can create a journey that you're satisfied with. Thank you for, sta- uh, for, t- for tuning in. Uh, take care.